Hello and welcome to the Spike Podcast. I'm Tom Slater, editor of Spiked, filling in for Fraser Myers, who's taking a well-earned holiday this week, but delighted to be joined on the show today by Spike contributor and broadcaster Candice Holdsworth. How are you doing, Candice? I am good, thank you. And Freddie Gray, deputy editor of The Spectator. Hello, Tom. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Coming up on today's show, we discuss the crimes of Hunter Biden, the schoolgirl who identifies as a cat, and the Man United fan arrested for mocking Hillsborough. So to begin with, let's talk about Hunter Biden, Freddie, um, an incredibly, oddly significant figure in American politics, everyone's favourite, crack-smoking, curb-crawling, wheeler-dealer, son of the current President of the United States. He has just pleaded guilty to a string of charges following this investigation, centering around not paying his taxes for a couple of years on in a row, as well as this slightly confusing charge around lying on a form about not being addicted to drugs in order to procure a firearm, which gives you a little bit of a sense of the kind of individual that we're talking about, I suppose. But I know you've written about Hunter Biden and these charges. What's going on with him to those who might not have been following this quite colourful character <laughs> over well, the course I, of recent I'm, years? Because I'm a, a grubby person, I love grubby stories about mm. real wrong'uns. And I think everybody who's like me likes these types of things should just stand back and applaud what an amazing wrong'un Hunter <laughs> Biden is. I mean, this is a, this is a, a you know, crack addict, struggles with addiction, etc. And no one should joke about that. But he has a fondness for making porn films with prostitutes. He shacked up with his brother's widow very briefly after his brother's death to be closer to his brother. As you according do. To him. Yeah. And then hit on the sister of the of the wife. Uh, I think we can say hit on legally because the, the texts are out there. Mm-hmm. He's just had an amazingly depraved life. And his memoir, which I've read, is this extraordinary sort of, you know, harrowing tale. And it, it was it was reviewed by everyone as this beautiful story. Mm-hmm. But really, it was quite, a, <laughs> it was amazingly self-serving uh, work. And I think a lot of Republicans now, because he's, he's taken this mm-hmm. plea deal, they're yeah. calling it a sweetheart plea deal. Because he's not going to go to prison or anything. He's not like going to go to prison. Mm-hmm. And of course, the comparison is with Donald Trump. It's not a very good comparison because Hunter Biden isn't running to be president. But it is interesting that the son of the president and the president Joe Biden is head of the Department of Justice, has got this very light sentence for crimes that any other person would probably spend a long time in jail mm-hmm. for. Um, and the fact that Donald Trump is going to, could face uh, imprisonment for the rest of his life under the Espionage Act for hoarding boxes. Admittedly, boxes are very highly classified documents that might imperil national security and so on. But there is just this difference between the way Democrats and the children of Democrats are treated by the legal system mm-hmm. at the highest levels of, of you know politics and the way Republicans are. And I think Republicans are right to sort of say this is a bit ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially when you think about what Hunter Biden has been accused of. I mean, I feel like anyone would assume this. They lived in America or went to America, evaded taxes for a couple of years, got addicted to crack cocaine lied and purchased a gun, then it was actually filmed with a prostitute brandishing said gun, and then loses the gun across the road from a school, you probably expect to go to prison. So yes. the fact that he's evaded that as a consequence of all this seems a little bit strange. But could I suppose, just to push back a little bit, could two things be true at the same time here insofar as it does seem that um, Hunter Biden has been given a ridiculously sweet deal here? There's also been allegations from whistleblowers, I believe, that the investigation into him have become increasingly politicised. Joe Biden was making kind of uh, interventions saying that he 
con- you know, throughout the investigation saying that he believed his son and so on. Understandable mm-hmm. in one way, but also he is the president of the United States. Could it be that on the one hand, Hunter Biden could easily have just been given preferential treatment, but that on Trump's side, on this particular case around those records, he might be more banged to rights than some of his supporters might like to... I think so. I think yes. I think this is if Trump if anything's gonna get Trump, this might be the one. Mm-hmm. He does seem to have this like golem like desire to hoard stuff, and I think it got the better of him here. But the Hunter story that's really interesting, I mean the, the crack stuff and the porn and sex and whatever is titillating, but it's it doesn't mean anything mm-hmm. really. The Hunter Biden story that's important is what he was doing with this um investment firm, investment fund he set up uh with John Kerry's son. And that is really quite suspicious. And the House Oversight Committee, which is now led by Republicans, has been looking into this. And they are digging up some pretty, unless they're making these documents up and there's no evidence that they are, the bank wire transfers that they've dug up are quite alarming Mm -hmm. uh, or intriguing, (laughs) whichever way you look at it. And I mean, for instance, uh, a Chinese entity, uh, three months after Joe Biden resigned as vice president in 2017, made a wire transfer to a family associate of the Biden family. And he then distributed the funds from his own account to various members of the Biden family. It's not entirely clear which ones, but a couple are known about. That is a bit suspicious. Um, there are, there's also a lot of Ukraine money that mm-hmm. seems to have come into Hunter Biden's pocket um, and then also may have gone elsewhere. There's allegations that maybe it's it's all very murky, nobody quite knows. And what I find extraordinary is that a, you've got this incredibly tabloid, interesting figure of mm-hmm. Hunter Biden, and it's only the New York Post, which is a which is a right right wing publication, and a bit of Fox News that talk about it, and then obviously the the Trump media do it too. But among the rest of the press, there's just complete silence about this. Mm-hmm. So you've got the the tabloid element, complete silence about the actual genuine, possible, huge, possibly huge scandal, which might might allegedly, possibly might mean that Joe Biden was basically taking money. For selling out America's national interest, which is a it's it's a serious allegation. I think you can now make it. A lot of Republicans are now making it, and that's just not really being talked about. Mm-hmm. It's very odd. It's very very strange. And you mentioned the New York Post there, and of course we would be remiss if we didn't mention the the suppression of the story about the Hunter Biden laptop, which was really striking because it also plays to a lot of the things you've been talking about as far as the sort of attempt to suppress criticism, not probably of Hunter Biden himself, but the concern that because that story was about to come out in the course of the run to the election, that it was going to be embarrassing, that there were all of these kind of former national security heads who kind of got together to basically present it as Russian disinformation, that this laptop with its evidence, not just of Hunter Biden's sexual exploits, but also of its kind of wheeler dealering in Ukraine and elsewhere. Candice, do you reckon like the, particularly the kind of American liberal media, have they even come to terms with even noticed that particular story? Because it just in terms of an issue of big tech censorship, it was so terrifying. The New York Post was locked out of its Twitter account. You can even share the story um, on DMs and so on. Like it was really total. And yet it feels like everyone involved has walked away from the crime scene where that one is involved. Definitely. There's been no reckoning with that. I mean, when the Twitter files came out and you actually saw the decision making that was going on at Twitter in regards to the story, it was like it was some dodgy spam link from somewhere, not Mm -hmm. the New York Post, and a proper investigation by a proper journalist. I mean, it was just, it was total censorship. And yes, no one else wanted to believe it was true. I mean, such as the deep partisanship in America, people were very, very, very willing to just believe it was a conspiracy theory or dismiss it. And then I think it was only a year later, the New York Times did a little piece on it that was saying basically, 
some of the documents taken from the laptop are 100% true. They're not forgery. And then it's suddenly like, okay, now it's acceptable to talk about and we can Mm -hmm. acknowledge it. And that's one of the big problems. People are just in these information bubbles now. I mean, this is a huge story. It's a massive story. The stuff that came off Hunter Biden's laptop, like you were saying, why was he on the board of an energy company? I mean, the guy had absolutely no expertise in that Mm -hmm. area. There's someone referred to in the documents as the big guy. We don't know who it is. Some people speculate that it's Joe Biden. It needs to be investigated. Mm-hmm. It really, really does. But I'm not holding out much hope that it will be. And and also what's, what's interesting is this idea that uh, because a lot of senior Democrats now are coming to accept that Biden is too doddery to go on, uh, the the sort of word in Washington, you hear these rumors in Washington that they might use the Hunter Biden, they might get interested in the Hunter Biden story as a mm. way of sort of parking, getting Joe Biden out of the way. I find people in journalism talking about that publicly is such a weird phenomenon. <laughs> it's like, yes, there's obviously this huge scandal, yeah. but we'll only use it because we've got to get rid of Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not, it, I mean, the cynicism of it is extraordinary. Um, and the fact that no one's interested in what actually happened and, and whether. Uh, the Biden family were hawking at the national mm-hmm. interest to China and Ukraine or e- elements within Ukraine. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. And, and it does feel like it, it, Hunter Biden from the office kind of tapped into that profound sort of scepticism a lot of people, particularly Trump supporters or Republicans had when it came to the Democrats because it really sort of symbolises the fact that as much as people were saying, not without cause, that Trump is quite crooked in many respects and probably has at least a handful of cases that he's going to have to answer for over the course of his life, um, it's still the fact that that accusation almost bounced off a lot of his supporters, I think, because they looked at the Bidens or they looked at the Clintons to a slightly different degree and thought they're all in it for themselves anyway. It just feels like his significance, this, this kind of the extent to which American democratic politics is just so based on these kind of various different, almost like royal families that seem to operate. Yeah. It's so, so striking. But, but in terms of um, what's what's happening next with Hunter Biden, there's obviously this particular investigation is, is drawing to a close, it seems like. Well, the judge hasn't on, accepted but... the plea deal yet, and he might not. Uh, I don't think we know who the judge is yet. I think we'll find that out soon. And then he probably will accept it. And then it's a, if it, essentially it is what all the Republicans are saying, which is a sort of slap on the wrist for yeah. Hunter Biden. Naughty boy shouldn't have done that. I don't think he'll be allowed to get to have a gun for a mm-hmm. while. But then after that, I mean, I, I don't think the House Oversight Committee, which is now led by Republicans, are going to give up. They've said they won't. So they're going to keep digging into this stuff. But again, what's amazing is they've already dug up very interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. And just it's, there's no real interest. We might get something in the New York Times in mm-hmm. the next three months. But then, again, that could well be because the New York Times has decided it wants to get rid of Joe Biden. And that's the only context in which they'll happily talk the about The only it. reason they <laughs> expose this truth is so they can plant another uh, Democratic president. It's incredible. So let's um, turn back to the UK for a moment because it's, there's been an incredible story which has been running for three, four, maybe five days now, about a school in East Sussex, a secondary school at which an incredible exchange took place between a teacher and um, two schoolgirls there, which was recorded and now leaked. In it, you can hear two schoolgirls essentially kind of pushing back against what sounds like rampant gender ideology at this particular school. They express scepticism that one of their classmates is actually a cat because she identifies as a cat. Um, They say such heretical things as... um, Men have penises and women have vaginas. The teacher then castigates them, says they're being despicable, um, suggests that they should find another school. The 
government have had to intervene, the DfE have launched an investigation. Candice, what's going on? Here? I mean, this is just like the Alice in Wonderland path that ge gender ideology has led us down, where saying something as simple as, men have penises, women have vaginas, you can't identify as a cat, <laughs> then becomes worthy of a government investigation. It's insanity. I mean, some people have said, no, they're not serious when they identify as cats. They know they're winding their teachers up. Mm -hmm. But the fact that you can wind a teacher up with that says something, right? I mean, when we were at school, if we'd done stuff like that, our teachers would have laughed at us. They would have rolled their eyes and batted us away. But now teachers are really po-faced. I mean, mm -hmm. when you listen to that audio exchange with those girls, the way that they were talking to her, they came across as really sensible. Yep. I mean, I would have been proud if those were my children. It shows them critical, questioning. She sounded so childish. She really did. I'm glad that they recorded it. You know, we live in an era now where it's feelings before facts. And this whole idea, this bizarre idea that you can just identify as anything. I mean, what does that even mean? You don't identify with gravity. It exists independently of how you feel about it. Mm -hmm. What an outrageous suggestion. <laughs> Freddie, what have you made of this? unfolding story because it has moved on as well because it kind of because there was this one revelation it sparked others that other school students had been identifying i think as horses planetary moons all kinds of inanimate objects as, as well what where to begin yeah <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna do horses, the rest of i should have done <laughs> yeah i was gonna say um, I don't know how you would do a moon. I didn't. I mean, it, I, I don't. I think Candice has said everything I think there is to say about it. I mean, it, it is obviously utterly preposterous. And the fact that the children are the grown-ups mm -hmm. now and the grown-ups are just completely <laughs> insane. Um, it's, I mean, what I find odd about these stories is they're sort of culture war stories, but I just can't find anyone. I know that there are people in the stories and there's mm -hmm. people online complaining, but you just don't meet anyone who's on the side of the cat mm -hmm. people. In this, I just don't. All the cat children, I, I just the kittens, I should say. I just, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that that there are those people. I think yeah. it's just something that, and everybody loves these kids that stick up for themselves because mm -hmm. they sound sane, and that's what we want. And it's almost like we're all so childish. We 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 want to elevate mm -hmm. sort of child teacher figures to to speak sense to us because we can't make sense mm -hmm. uh, ourselves. But yes, it's obviously completely mad. It's, it's been interesting as well because when it first sort of broke, there was people just generally just asserting, oh, this must be fake. <laughs> this can't have possibly happened. I mean, is, is there a risk of just taking one teacher who got a little bit carried away and treating it as an example of um, everything that's going on? Or would that be to dismiss the fact that things have gotten so bad that a teacher does feel that they have the right not just to assert a pretty batty view in the classroom, but to punish <laughs> pupils for expressing the much more commonsensical view on these things. Well, Catherine Burblesing, who's the head of the Michaela School, she said people said the same thing to her when she started speaking out about this stuff. No, that doesn't happen. Don't mm -hmm. be ridiculous. Apparently it is quite prevalent. I mean, the furry stuff, I mean, I think that's quite new. But especially stuff with gender, I think teachers feel very boxed in about what they can do. I mean, you've got this new guidance coming out about what teachers, how teachers should handle this in schools in terms of socially transitioning children. Mm -hmm. I think 
The problem is, is up until now, like you were saying, you don't really know people who think this is okay. I honestly think it's lobby groups and activist groups who've shaped a lot of the guidance around this stuff. I mean, it's, that was the case with um, uh, men in women's prisons, for instance. I mean, it was just some very extreme group who held very extreme views who were shaping the prison policy on this. I mean, it does not reflect ordinary opinion at mm-hmm. all. But I think it's just a tragedy that, I mean, you even have to have guidance regarding this stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it should be the most obvious thing in the world. I think also in an in a odd way, probably an unconscious way, it becomes a way in which uh, the trans debate in schools becomes legitimized. Mm-hmm. Because I think everybody eventually goes, well, obviously the kittens thing is a bit extreme, but we do really need to focus on uh, allowing kids to identify as whatever gender they want. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, that sort of shifts the parameters of the debate a bit. And I think there might be a bit of that going on, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are starting to uh, accept uh, a, a highly progressivist idea on kids and trans issues that, I mean, I find appalling, but I think a lot of my peers now are saying, well, this is just the future and you, know, you don't mm. want to be a reactionary and get in the way of it. And, um, and it does feel like that. It's, ju- it's just because it's the high status opinion. that People are yeah. on that. They haven't really thought about it for more than five minutes. But Candice, what do you think about the um, scope for a kind of pushback particularly from government, I suppose, as you were saying, there's this new schools guidance which has been issued, which pretty meekly suggests that, you know, you shouldn't socially transition a child, you know, refer to he or she using their new pronouns and names without first talking to the parents. That seems like a pretty reasonable thing. Of course, it's been um, responded to with outrage and hysteria is, is always want to happen. But do you think that the government are in a place to push back on this a little bit? It's interesting that in a way, Rishi Sunak has been a bit bolder on this than even some of his predecessors even made a women with penises joke yes. in recent weeks which is a potentially a good sign but, <laughs> yes. i mean do you, i mean obviously the, the, you know they can't do much of anything at the moment but do you think they've got their heart in the right place great that that's on the this issue of, yeah. <laughs> it could be a good prime minister he made a women with penises joke the bar has become yeah. <laughs> that low at this point but this is where we are up yeah. is down down is up um <laughs> I think it's mostly coming from parents, anecdotally speaking. Mm -hmm. I think it's good that the government's now saying that it should be up to parents. For instance, if a child wants to change their pronouns or whatever, even if the teachers are worried about how what the parents' reaction would be, it doesn't matter. You have to learn to manage it because it's not good. It's not good to help a child be at odds with their parents. It just isn't, even if their parents, you know, are, are not the most enlightened people in the world. And then um, in regards to sex education and things like that, they were withholding material from the parents. Now they have to share it. I honestly think that most of this is going to come from parents just becoming more involved and the schools having to get used to that because I think the schools keep keep them at arm's length. So mm-hmm. the government really saying you have to involve the parents more and more and more, that's the only way. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened in America, right? You know, this is what happened. The parents got together and they became a powerful force. I just wanted to let you know that Brendan O'Neill's new book, A Heretic's Manifesto, is back in stock on Amazon. Also, if you want to get a hold of a signed copy of the book, our special offer is still running. If you donate £50 or more to Spikes, you can get your hands on a signed copy for free, and it will be delivered straight to your door while stocks last. To donate your £50 and to get a hold of your signed copy of A Heretic's Manifesto, just go to spiked-online.com forward slash donate. That's spiked-online.com forward slash donate. And also, we'll throw in a year's access to Spiked supporters. That's our online donor community, which comes with all kinds of other brilliant perks, just as a way of saying thank you. 
let's move on to our final story of the day, which is when we're talking about free speech cases, it's actually quite a difficult case um, these days because of the fact that, you know, saying that your school friend can't identify as a cat can potentially get you chastised. The people you tend to defend when it comes to free speech are often quite amiable people, gender critical feminists who want to say that women can't have penises and so on. But in the form of James White, who's a 33-year-old Man United fan who was arrested at the FA Cup final earlier this month, this is a genuinely outrageous and unsavoury character. Um, so he attended the FA Cup final wearing a Man United replica shirt. On the back was 97 not enough in a pretty clear reference to the Hillsborough disaster at which 97 Liverpool fans tragically and preventively lost their lives. Um, he was sort of snapped and then instantly went around social media. People complained to the police. He was pretty promptly arrested. Um, and on Monday at in a court in London, he pleaded guilty to essentially a kind of public order offence on the back of his shirt it's a, he's an incredibly difficult person to defend as far as he was laughing in the dock apparently it seemed to be one massive joke to him um he even told the police officer who arrested him that they'd misunderstood the shirt because it was in honor of his grandfather who had died at the age of 97 and hadn't had enough children so really a kind of low life by many stretches of the imagination but surely freddie anyone who cares about free speech should be concerned about the fact that what is essentially a grotesque joke even if it's a genuinely grotesque joke could lead to a situation where you're found guilty in a court of law and in his case escaped jail but still has a conviction as a consequence of that didn't they track down the grandfather and the, he's actually he died at 50 or something i, I hadn't seen I, that i think it, yeah. i think they another I mean, plot it, twist he didn't thing. think he didn't think anyone would bother to check yeah. uh yeah i mean he's a kind of you know hunter biden level wrong and mm-hmm. uh but he's I mean, it is a sick joke, and you're allowed to make sick jokes, even if they're really gross. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of stand-up comedians make a lot of money off sick jokes, uh, and just because he's not a professional stand-up comedian doesn't stop him from doing it. And, and uh, you know, wearing it as a shirt, there are lots of hideous, offensive T-shirts in the world. Um, it's not something you should be arrested for. Uh, and as you wrote on your excellent piece uh, for the spectator today, you know, uh, free speech is for scumbags too. Uh, And if it isn't, then there's no point in having it. Yes, it's tested at the edges, right? Mm -hmm. It's these cases that test your full commitment to it. I remember someone saying to me, but if you stand for free speech, you have to stand up for really grotty examples. I'm like, yeah, that's what free speech is about. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And one of my issues is, is I think we're getting more and more used to turning to the law, turning to the police, to police opinion. And with non-crime hate incidents, for instance, Mm -hmm. the subjectivity of it is alarming. I mean, gender critical, we're back to that, people being questioned by the police for saying, for using the incorrect pronouns. And this is where we're at now. This is where this is where this has led us. And I know that most people would agree that what this guy said is hateful, but it does set a precedent Mm -hmm. that anyway, someone like that most likely would have got their comeuppance anyway. I mean, you're walking around with a shirt like that, you're inviting a slap. Mm -hmm. And that probably would have taught him a better lesson. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, this went wrong, like many things in the Blair years, because incitement to violence uh, was sort of melded with incitement to to hatred. Uh, And incitement to hatred, in my opinion, is not strong enough grounds for for a legal conviction very often. It's so much more slippery. I mean, incitement can be slippery anyway. It's a very slippery Mm -hmm. concept. Um, You're talking about mind reading, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, And, uh, yeah, it's it's absolute madness that most people as well reacting to this story Mm -hmm. are now like, well, fair enough. I mean, he did do – what he Mm -hmm. did was totally unacceptable. Mm -hmm. No, it's a sick joke. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's unacceptable. It doesn't make it criminal or or 
or something that needs to be punished by the law. And that's, that's such an important point because it does feel like we're kind of losing that distinction between I find this absolutely reprehensible, disgusting. I think the vast majority of people, you know, at Wembley that day would have found it disgusting, probably would have, you know... I wouldn't would have, have got remonstrated it. with it. Yeah, I mean, it was one I mean, of those I things. I think that's why he, but probably I... why he got away with it is because of the fact that you know it was um, relatively subtle as yeah. these things go. But you do think we are just losing that distinction between this is horrible, but at the same time, the law shouldn't be involved in dealing with this bloke. As you said, there's somewhat more old-fashioned ways you can deal with people who are generally making nasty themselves. And I suppose. It's one of those things where, in a case like this, you can understand particularly people, you know, the Hillsborough families and so on fought for many, many years for the truth to come out and so on. It's very deep, kind of, and still quite recent pain for a lot of people in Merseyside and so on. But it is, um, again, it's just the fact that if that becomes the bar for censorship, it's still a subjective standard by which we're allowing things to be censored. And also, because we struggle with these hard cases, we shouldn't be surprised when the seemingly more crazy cases, like the gender-critical feminists or anyone else, come around because of the fact that you can't break freedom of speech up into nice easy chunks and say this is acceptable and this isn't acceptable mm. to censor but do you feel like we're in a good place with, i mean I, I always feel Candice, that on the one hand there's a lot more discussion about the issue of free speech but at the same time it seems to be getting worse and worse all the I time know. is that about it's always just down to, to feelings again i mean we need to protect hurt feelings yes someone may have seen that shirt and felt upset okay i'm sure they'll have gotten over it i don't know i I sometimes feel like there's less strident support for free speech now. Although having said that, with a lot of the stuff that's gone on with social media, where people are being censored and people can see now that actually this is something quite sinister and is a real threat to freedom, there is that kind of awareness growing, which I hope will allow people to see just how bad it is to, to cede these very fundamental liberties to external authorities. Thank you for listening to The Spike Podcast. We're back every Friday and you can now watch us on video too. Check us out on YouTube or go via the Spiked website, which is spiked-online.com. See you next time.